Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Two Strike Noise. I am your one of your co-hosts, Jeff Paulson, uh, sitting here in the rather humid and hot Two Strike Noise uh, studio is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Say hello, Mark. Hey, we should have paid the AC bill. Yeah, it is. It is. It is tough recording in a studio with no AC on a day like this. But uh, as I said, we are Two Strike Noise. We are your cheese mongering uh, podcast, and today we're going to really be focusing on the New York competition and specifically the perfect slate segment from the. Jeff, yes, uh, this isn't the cheese podcast. I mean, I I love a good brie or uh, a nice Venezuelan beaver cheese as well as anyone else. But uh, that's a different podcast. This is the baseball one we do, Two Strike Noise. Hmm. All right. Well, again, I've got my times mixed up. I thought we were going to talk about cheese mongering as sport, but I guess we will, as you said, do a a baseball history podcast like we normally do. Right. Now, when we do the cheese one, I'm going to recite the Monty Python uh, cheese sketch. I just okay. want you to know that's that. good stuff. That sounds that sounds like a legitimate plan then. Let's yes. uh, let's plan for that uh, next uh, Wednesday. Next okay. Wednesday. Yeah, works for me. All right, so let's uh, let's start off the uh, the show as we usually do with uh, some quick some quick stories we like to uh, call this segment batting practice BP. So, I've got a couple of numbers here for you, Mark. Now, if I were to ask you, who do you think the career leader is? in inside the park home runs what would your uh, would your answer be wow that is a good question um vince coleman uh, i did not find evidence of vince coleman having one so i'm close you're now I, i'm going to be honest i only found one person that had two and so this might be completely wrong but i stopped at this name because it was too good to to do any more research with uh, prince fielder Prince Fielder comes in with two career inside the park home runs. Prince Fielder, known for motoring around those bases, apparently. I had no idea. Fleet of feet, Prince Fielder. Hank Aaron himself, he had one. Ted Williams had one. Ricky Henderson had one. Okay. But they, they could not best Prince Fielder. That's amazing. I He would have been my, probably not until my sixth guess. Yeah, yeah, that's probably, that's probably around where he'd fall for most people, five or six. <laughs> So last week we had some we had a musical segment uh, during BP, which I thoroughly enjoyed listening to 80s baseball players rap about themselves. It was a clap along and, and, and sing along uh, kind of segment. I, I learned most of the songs and now I'm playing them on my uh, Amazon music app and just enjoying them intensely. I thought you were going to say the harpsichord and then I thought that was going to be really cool. No, but... I, I don't play the harpsichord. I play the hammered dulcimer. Great accompaniment to the to the harpsichord. Though. Yes, absolutely. So I, I thought to myself, what other you know baseball gems have we missed uh, musically? And I got to tell you, we missed a lot of them. There are a lot of some. I mean, some are really good. Like I think most baseball fans from the the nineties and and two thousands know Bernie Williams is a classically trained. A guitar player and has many albums out and you know is really good at what he does so i found a lot of of actual good music from uh, from some players and then i i went back to to last week's let's get metsmerized by the 86 mets Ooh, yeah i couldn't get over daryl strawberry's just incredible verses that he was spitting so they were trade dope my friend they were they were pretty fly as they <laughs> as they would say there you go so little did I know that Daryl Strawberry actually, 
you know, thought he did a good enough job that the next year he recorded another track. This one all by himself. As in no other teammates. I He is accompanied on this track. But yeah. he, he laid down a fat beat called Chocolate Strawberry. And uh, let's let's listen to it here for a minute. My name is Dale. I'm a baseball player. One thing I forgot to say. When I'm on the field, I'm on top of the world. I get screamed from all the girls. Everybody in the stadium screams for me. Strike one, strike two, but no strike three. When I'm running, all the players make space. I run, I slide, and then I'm saying, Yo, I ain't soft. I even get paid on my days off. Daryl! That is that wow. is some good stuff. I mean, if if somebody can can rhyme the words "say" and "player" together, you know that they're talented. That was that blew me away. That's some serious verbal gymnastics right there. <laughs> Daryl Strawberry, what what a second career he could have had if he would have just stuck with it in the rap game. If only. So let's uh, we we debuted another segment last week called debuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably should rephrase that we started a new segment because i don't like to use the word debut twice in in the sentence uh, this week uh, the show is coming out on june 11th so i wanted to look at some uh, historical players that made their debut on this date we're going to start uh june 11th 1978 mike morgan made his debut with the oakland a's wow so Mike Morgan actually ended up playing for 12 different teams, and uh, he was an all-star in 1991 for the Dodgers, and uh, he uh, hit on my mom a year or two ago. No so kidding. He could have been my stepfather. He could have point. been. You could be. He could take you fishing. You could be out fishing with Mike Morgan. Oh, it could have been. What oh, could have been? The things you could have done. Uh, 1995, Phil Nevin debuted with the Houston Astros, but was later traded that year to Detroit. Phil Nevin had a good career. He was an all-star in 2001 with the Padres, is who that's who I usually associate him with, and uh, finished his career with a 15.9 win above replacement. So Not bad. That's Yeah, that's a good career. There for, was a lot of pressure Nevin. on Phil Nevin early on. Uh, he was a high Astros draft pick, and I remember him playing for Tucson. And it just, it's like the weight of the world was on his shoulders. He was still playing well, but there was a lot of expectations. And when those kind of went away, all of a sudden, man, he could play some ball. Yeah, he was, he was really good. The Tucson Toros, you mentioned Tucson. Yeah. That was, I remember the Tucson Toros. Those were some cool uniforms. They They were. Uh, Last one is Garrett Cole. So this one's obviously Garrett Cole still playing. He debuted in 2013 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, so far, he's been an all-star twice, uh, 2015 and then last year in 2018. And just this far into his career, he already has amassed a 17.4 career pitcher's war. Solid. So that, I mean, that's that's a little bit more than half a season for a starter. He has already attributed for a, a win above replacement. So that's... That's fantastic. He, uh, he got real good real fast. And why do the Astros need him? Like, they're not good enough already. They're like, yeah, we better get Garrett Cole in this rotation. Yeah. Last player I wanted to hit, not a debut, but rather a final game played on this date in 2008. Let's look at Esteban Loiza. Now, <laughs> Esteban Loiza been in the news recently. He was arrested on February 9th, 2018 in San Diego, California with 44. Four pounds of cocaine. Wow. That would have been one hell of a party. Man. I mean, 44 pounds of coke and Esteban Loiza, I 
does it if daryl strawberry was there rapping it would have oh, been that would have been the and it, party you know what century. and if the 86 bears were there to do the beat my gosh so loiza pleaded guilty to the charges in august and he was sentenced to a three-year prison term so for 44 pounds of coke he gets three years there are people in jail for so much longer than that for marijuana possession mm-hmm. it, three years that's that's crazy I, I don't get that's a that, lot of coke for three years that is a lot of coke oh esteban uh if i could throw in something real quick uh, sort of timely uh congratulations to the 2019 women's college world series champion ucla bruins they played some awesome awesome uh didn't didn't they wasn't that a walk-off winner in the in the final was. game there was some great softball and i i love watching women's softball because man there's no way i could hit those pitches no way no yeah i know they they have so much movement and they're so close to yeah. the batter and they're throwing it so hard yeah it and i what's impressive because i know i hate holding a softball in my hands because you know it's not like a baseball where you can get your fingers around it really grip it i feel like i have no control where i'm gonna throw a a softball and yet those infielders are just playing so close and they're whipping it around the infield it's so it's really fun to watch and i enjoyed the world series uh and and watching as much as i could possibly take in yeah i'm excited it's a it's a olympic sport again so that's always fun to watch the olympic tournament yeah good stuff i just wanted to throw that in Sure, sure. So that, that'll wrap up our BP segment for today. A little bit shorter because we have a very big topic to discuss today. We're going to actually share this topic uh, because, I mean, originally I was going to, I, I wanted to cover the 1998 baseball season as a whole. And I'm still going to do that probably next week because I've already done all the research. But of course, the big thing that happened in 1998 was the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa race for the home run, uh, not just the title, but the single season record that went on that year. And we found so much information on this and it was such a big story that we decided we're just gonna do one topic this week and we're we're just gonna talk about the 1998 home run race and the capturing, I guess would be the best word, of the all-time single season home run record. For many years, the single most how single season achievement in all of sports was that home run record by first of course babe ruth was probably the most well known but then roger maris um, breaking the record in 1961 by hitting 61 home runs and you know a home run is something that's a lot different than anything else that you can accomplish in another sport is for the most part i mean we we know there's other people involved but for the most part it's it's the pitcher versus the batter those are the two people that everybody's focusing on and the home run itself is is such a spectacle it's it's a ball being launched you know anywhere from 300 to 500 feet in the air over a wall and the batter gets to celebrate with maybe a bat flip or at least a long stare a trot around the bases with all eyes on them and it gets replayed, it gets on highlight shows, the papers, the box score. It's a big achievement. And, you know, it's kind of a mono mono, you know, one person versus one person thing. So let's, Mark, let's first take a brief look at the single season home run record and kind of build up to 1998. The first time that the, the home run was actually recorded and, and, and a single season record was kept was in 1876 when George Hall of the Philadelphia Athletics in a 70 game schedule hit five home runs. So <laughs> what what year was that? 
1876. Okay, so we're talking about uh, definitely a very dead ball era. Yeah, and just so everybody that might not be familiar, a dead ball era is exactly what it kind of sounds like. It is when you didn't hit, there wasn't a lot of power. And and one of the reasons being is, first of all, baseballs were not particularly made well at that point. But also, for an entire nine-inning game, you're playing with probably the exact same baseball you started with. And so by the fifth or sixth inning, that baseball could be soft. It could be mush. I mean, you're not, no matter who hits it, you're probably not going to be able to hit it with a lot of power. And this dead ball era went all the way up to Babe Ruth. And we'll get into his numbers here in a minute. But that's when, when, when we say dead ball era, that's what we mean uh, by that phrase. So three years after George Hall, uh, Charlie Jones from the Boston Red Caps hit nine. And that was in an 84 game schedule. So a couple more, 14 more games, but he hit four more home runs. Then uh, 1883, Harry Stovey of the Philadelphia A's hit 14. And that was in a 98-game schedule. So you can see starting to add more games, starting to hit for a little bit more pop. Then in 1884, so the next year, the schedule is now 112 games, and Ned Williamson of the Chicago White Stockings, or White Sox, hit 27. So you're like, okay, this is still the dead ball era. How the hell did he hit 27? Well, he played uh, in what was called Lakeshore Park, was his home ballpark. And the right field fence was less than 200 feet from home plate. (laughs) So during previous years, anything hit over the right field fence was called a ground rule double. But this was the last year of Lakeshore Park. And for some reason, they thought it would be cool to credit it as a home run if you hit it over that wall. And Ned Williamson, who I'm guessing was a lefty, did that quite a few times thusly why that big number it, that one really should have an asterisk by boy it, if but. anything's going to it should be that <laughs> one. 200 feet yeah less than 200 feet i couldn't get an exact measurement but everything i said every it always said less than 200 feet moogie Klingman could have been a home run champ with that distance so now let's jump forward to 1919 and we get into now we're, we're leaving the dead ball era and babe ruth puts his name in the record books at this point he was still with the boston red sox he hit in 140 games in 1919 he hit 29 home runs now what's incredible about that is you got to remember babe ruth was still pitching at this point and was you know one of the league's most dominant pitchers and yet he still led the league in home runs and set the single season mark then we move ahead the next year he's traded to the yankees and in a 154-game schedule, he notches 54 home Ooh. runs. So that is 25 more than he did the year prior. The next year, still in 154 games, he hits 59 home runs. And then in 1927, which is probably you know his most famous season as a, as a Yankee, he came up with the magical number of 60 home runs. Yep. And that record, that record stood for 34 years. 34 years, Ruth's record. And then in 1961, Roger Maris hits 61 home runs in 162 games, uh, 162 game schedule. So a couple of notes about this, um, you know, beyond Babe Ruth hitting 60 in that 154 game schedule, he hits 17 in September, oh my God. which is of course the last month of the year. People are generally pretty tired at that point, but he hits 17 in September. 
1961 when Roger Maris hit his 61 home runs. That was also the year the American League added two new teams and eight games to the schedule. And Maris broke the record on the last day of the season. Uh, It should be noted also that Maris hit one home run in April. Wow. (laughs) So that's like a whole month he just took off. He's like Kyle Seeger. He decided to do nothing at the beginning of the season. Uh, So just one home run in April. And uh, the commissioner of baseball at that time, Ford Frick, who at one time had been a ghostwriter for Ruth. So obviously a Ruth apologist, big fan, probably friends with Ruth, declared in the middle of the season that anybody trying to break Ruth's record would have to do it in 154 games. The implication was that the 61st home run in game 155 or later would have an asterisk by it in the record books. So that's where the whole asterisk talk ever comes. You know, it comes from. It's Ford Frick. Yeah, it, he's a freaking he's a freaking fan of Babe it, Ruth. It, Didn't want to see yeah, that. Just just uh, a ridiculous uh, uh, declaration. Because which 154 games are you going to measure? The first, the last, the middle 154, or maybe take out the eight games that he didn't hit home runs. It it was a silly thing to do. Yeah, I mean, because then you would have to do it when when Babe Ruth first broke it in 1919 sure. with the 29. Their schedule was 18 games, no, 28 games more than Ned Williamson, and there was no talk of an asterisk at that point. So Frick. let's uh, jump forward to 1998. This is what this is what we want to talk about. So before this year, Mark McGuire, of course, had been drafted by the A's, American League Rookie of the Year in 1987, uh, led the league that year with 49 home runs. He also led the league in 1996 with 52. You know, he was a constant power hitter when he was healthy, which, you know, was was a big thing with McGuire was staying healthy. He had been traded to the Cardinals the year before. So this was his first full year in St. Louis. I guess we should just obviously note that he was obviously a teammate of Jose Canseco while he was in Oakland. And we know we know what Jose was all about with showing people how to. Mm-hmm. how to do steroids admittedly <laughs> his concoction yeah now did you ever did you see uh mcguire in tacoma were you were you around i did i was um i wasn't working there yet i was still too young but um he was a third baseman for the then tacoma tigers and not a bad one either uh they moved him to first base when he went to the big leagues and um he was a lot tinier i mean I, he was big guy don't get me wrong he just did not have those you know, whatever they are, 32 inch pythons uh, for biceps at that time. But he had some pop and he was a he was a pretty good hitter for average, too. Yeah. I mean, I remember his rookie year. He was a big guy. But then you look at him during the 89 season and he's a mountain. So uh, also Sammy Sosa. So Sosa started his career in Texas, but was traded his rookie year to the White Sox. Interesting note, Sosa's first career home run was off Roger Clemens in Boston. So that's huh. a, a good name to hit your first home run off of. Uh, he signed with the Cubs in 1992, and before 98, he had never hit more than 15 home runs. Check that, until 1993, when he hit 33. Um, but his previous season high before 98 was 40 in 1996. So he had some good pop, you know, good power numbers, but nothing, you know, nothing like he would put up in 1998. Let, let's start the season now. McGuire starts the year. Well, first of all, it should be noted that for some reason, Major League, for some reason, I I think we know why, but Major League Baseball before the season started was already touting 
that Mark McGuire or Ken Griffey Jr. might challenge the single season home run record this season. So if Major League Baseball can say this before the season, it tells me they know something's up with the balls and they also know what's going on with their players, which we'll get into a little Mm. bit later. But they're already drumming up like, you know, interest that, hey, you might want to keep your eye on these guys. They they could challenge the most hallowed, you know, record in all of sport. So McGuire starts the season by hitting a home run in each of the Cardinals four games, the first of which was a grand slam on opening day. So that pretty much set the tone for the season. So we'll cruise through April pretty quick. At the end of April, Mark McGuire has 11 home runs. Ken Griffey Jr. has 11 home runs. Vinny Castilla has 11 home runs for the Rockies. And Sammy Sosa only had six. So, you know, right now, wow. Griffey's in there as expected, and Castilla is, is in there as well. People have to pay attention to him. So beyond all of the other incredible things that happened in baseball in 98, which we'll talk about, you know, like I said, probably next week, for me, it, this was a special season for me because this was the first year that I was kind of really involved in professional baseball full time. I worked all 81 regular season games, a couple of exhibition games, and then the playoffs at then Turner Field, sitting right behind Javi Lopez. So for the, you know, this is the first year I am sitting in this incredible seat for the entire season, and I get to see Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa come through and hit these shots, and it, it was awesome. Where, where were you in 98? Were you, were you in Tacoma still, or were you already at the Mariners, at the Kingdom? What, what were you doing? No, I was uh, I was in Tacoma, doing my stint in the minor leagues, my eleven year stint uh, in the minor leagues, and um, at that time I was doing scoreboard ops. I was out of the locker room slash clubhouse, and uh, I uh, was uh, enjoying it from on television like everyone else. And it had to have been it had to have been different from even what I experienced, because you were kind of, especially at the beginning, first half of the season, you were right there with Griffey being, you know, neck and neck with McGuire. So even more interest. Yeah. I I, I recall that um, very well pulling for Griffey. Look at what if he broke the record? What if he broke the record? Um, And McGuire had just blown me away the year prior to that. When I was at a game, he was facing Randy Johnson. This is 97. And he hit this home run. <laughs> yep. It was it was disgusting. I remember. It got measured at 538 feet. And I, I was at that game, and I remember it was dead silent, and then you heard everybody's jaws hit the ground. And that was when he was, was still with impressive. the A's. That one is, yeah, that was yes. just straight away. That's before the trade. It wasn't straightaway center. It was kind of left center, wasn't it? And it, it was just yes. a moonshot, yeah. It, it was ridiculous. It, it, I mean, wherever where it landed, and everybody just stared at it like, "Really, really, you're going to do that to a baseball?" <laughs> All right. So let's now jump ahead uh, through May. Uh, at the end of May, the home run race looks like this: Mark McGuire hits 16 more bombs in the month to up his total to 27. Both Griffey and Castilla only hit eight, so they are both at 19. But Sosa woke up after his slow uh, slow April. He hit 13 in the month. So he is sitting at 19 as well, tied with Griffey and Castilla. But eight ahead of them, you know, is McGuire. So he's, he's comfortably ahead. Uh, at this point, 
in their record seasons, Ruth had 16 and Maris had 11. So all of these guys are obliterating the pace at this point. And, you know, it's already starting to drum up interest all over the country, even for non-baseball fans because of these incredible numbers. These guys are hitting them all over the place and plenty of them. But with McGuire, it's not just the number of them. It is kind of what you were just talking about. It's the distance that he's hitting them. Yes. Obviously, they didn't have stat cast at that point. But distances in these park, and you would know this very well, are usually a guesstimate at this point. Yes. There is usually a map of the park, and there are actual distances measured to certain points, to certain, you know, to this row, to this wall. There, on the map, it's written how many feet there are, and then it's left to the team employee to do their best to judge how far it was, it, you know, how far it went based on that map. So yes. it's a real inexact science. I know, I know, I've seen these maps. Uh, at some stadiums and yes. i know uh, before Statcast, sitting next to some people that would make these calls and yeah. uh some of them were head scratchers as to where they came up with them but that's yeah. how it used to be done there there could be a little bit of home team bias that might have been oh yeah finagled into oh, some yeah. of these oh yeah because you never want a visiting team player to have the longest home run in your stadium <laughs> so mcguire is sending these moonshots to the upper decks of some of these huge stadiums. So fans are now actually buying the cheap seats and bringing their gloves because now they have a legit chance to catch a home run, you know, in these seats that are 500 feet away from home plate. McGuire hit one, I remember, off of Levon Hernandez. I tried to look it up real quick, and most estimates are 545 feet. So I have a list here of every home run he hit in 1998 and their distances. And unfortunately, it won't let me quickly sort. Uh, it would have been mid-May, May. Okay, 15th that 16th. that will help. So, and here it is: Levon Hernandez, uh, May sixteenth, five hundred and forty-five feet. There you go. <laughs> so, one of the interesting things looking through these numbers is McGuire probably has ten to fifteen home runs here that went over five hundred feet. Mm-hmm. He hit one August thirtieth off of El Presidente, Denny Martinez went 501 feet a couple days before off of justin spire 509 feet uh brian bohannon 511 feet i mean he is just hitting moonshots i then looked at sammy sosa's numbers and sosa i don't believe hit a single one 500 feet i mean he had some long shots but i think 480 was his longest right and yet it's still counted Oh, yeah. The same amount of runs. <laughs> the old uh, line drive in a box score type of situation. It doesn't matter how far they went. That's right. As long as they clear the fence. Real that's quick the... uh, quote from Jim Leland, the Marlins manager at the time. He said, they disappear and get real small real quick. It's fortunate they only count as one run. Let's, uh, let's fast forward through the month of June. Now, this was Sammy Sosa's coming out party. This is when he really became part of the story he had four multi-home run games and uh his uh 20 home runs in the month 20 total home runs just in the month broke rudy york's record for home runs in a month uh which was which did stand at 18 so with those 20 home runs sosa jumped up to his total was 33 mcguire had 10 in the month so he now sits at 37 Griffey Jr. had a good month. He hit 14, 
So he sits at 33 along with Sosa. Castilla is uh, starting to fade out here. He only hit four, so he sits at 23. And at this point in their record seasons, Ruth had 25 and Maris had 27. So again, just blowing past the, you know, the, the, the old record kind of setting pace uh, of Ruth and Maris. So do you remember where the All-Star game was in 1998? No, I don't. Coors Field, Colorado. Oh, nice. <laughs> so you, you're thinking, okay, home run derby. Balls are flying out everywhere. This is going to be spectacular. <laughs> sure. So this was actually the first year that the home run derby was carried live on TV as well. And uh, Chris Berman and Joe Morgan called it. So you want to talk about something I would not like to hear. Wow. Are, are these two guys calling a home run derby? Not two of my favorites. The way that everybody's knocking the ball around the yard during the the regular season, the home run derby at the All-Star game should have been a show. But it ended up not being quite the show everybody wanted it to be. Sosa was injured and could not participate. McGuire did not place. He just didn't do much. But Griffey, uh, Griffey decided he wasn't even going to participate in the home run derby. But then... The day before, during the all-star workout, he's taking batting practice, and the fans are booing him because he's not going to be in the home run derby. So he's just knocking balls out left and right during BP, and he said he's not going to be in the derby, so the fans are booing him, and that changes his mind, which is a good idea. Yeah. Because the kid, with his hat on backwards in classic Griffey style, won the derby, beating out Jim Tomei. There you go. Good, good, good thing for Griffey, and and that was good. I I remember I remember watching that, and I just watched it again on YouTube. He he was having fun. And kind of an honorable mention for a, a, a home run contest that ended up being two people without him. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. I mean, when you think of home runs in in the late you know nineties and two thousand, Griffey is is always in those conversations. So following the All Star break, Mac hit five home runs Jeez. the following week. So. <laughs> well, he didn't do much in the in the home run derby. He continued to do it during games. So for the month of July, uh, everybody kind of slowed down here. McGuire only hit eight, five of which were in one week. So he ended July with 45. Sosa hit nine. So he ended up with 42, only three behind uh, McGuire. Junior hit eight. So he's at 41. So he's still in the conversation. Castilla had a good month. He hit 12, but he's kind of out of it at this point. He's at 35. Uh, the pace set by Ruth at this point was 34, and Maris was 40. So they're starting to slow down, but they're still still above pace. So we're going to now move into August, and August 22nd. This is kind of a big day in baseball history. Um, the sports section of America's papers are just pasted with home run news about this this contest uh, and and a story comes across the wire by steve wilstein wilstein and uh steve wrote for the ap and so they'd send this out so anybody any paper that wanted to use it and and pay for it could run it and i'm just going to read you the, the first couple lines of this this story sitting on the top shelf of mark mcguire's locker next to a can of popeye spinach and a pack of sugarless gum is a brown bottle labeled andro stendione i don't it's not italian obviously i can't pronounce that last part we just refer to it i think it's andro androstenia androstein we everybody pretty much refers to it as andro because probably because they can't pronounce that (laughs) 
<laughs> I went Italian for some reason. <laughs> Stendione. We're just going to call it Andro from here on out. So for more, it, continuing reading the article, for more than one year, McGuire says that he's been using this testosterone-producing pill, which is perfectly legal in baseball, but banned in the NFL Olympics and the NCAA. So that's that's the first two sentences in this story that is free for not free but it's it's available for anybody to use so now to be clear at this point it was not classified as an anabolic steroid it builds muscle mass uh, but it was not illegal in baseball at this point and nobody knew the true extent of any of the side effects Uh, the cardinals did not take kindly to this reporting and they responded to the report by claiming the reporter had invaded mcguire's privacy and they tried to ban all ap reporters from the locker room for the rest of the season Hmm. didn't work but uh, tony larusa was especially bitchy about it um it's obviously everybody knew he was taking these uh but nobody you know again it was legal at this point but you know there was it, it was kind of a don't don't you know pretty much don't ask yeah. don't tell situation so let's get through august now so mcguire hits 10 home runs in august to bring his total to 55 sosa hits 13 to equal mcguire at 55 griffey is having a great year still he hits six home runs but he's at 47 castilla only hit three so he's at 38 he's pretty much done the pace by Ruth was 43 and 51 by Maris. So still ahead of that, that record pace. So into September we go. The home run race has taken over the country. Other games would update the race during their games. Golf tournaments, you know, on their leaderboard, they would have Sosa and Maguire's name there with their totals and would update it as they happened. Uh, the, the home run race would lead both national and local sports every day. Crowds flocked to Cubs and Cardinal games on the road. It was like they were playing at home the whole time. They were taking curtain calls after home runs on the road. Wow. That's how, you know, everybody was into this and didn't even mind seeing, you know, their own teams give up these home runs. Celebrities tried to pull strings and meet with these two whenever they were in the same town. Something that was different, though, between a lot of contests is Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa seemed to actually genuinely like each other. They both respected the chase. Uh, you know, they, they weren't out there trying to, you know, make it all about them. They would talk about each other, constantly praising each other. And it seemed like all the other players in the league were likewise into this. Like, they congratulated each other as they continued. Pitchers didn't want to give up these blasts, these guys, but they also weren't throwing at right. them. They weren't intentionally, you know, pitching around them. They were pitching to these guys. Otherwise, there's no way they could have hit this many home runs. So McGuire started September hitting four home runs in the first two games to take the lead back all by himself. September 5th, he hit another home run, giving him a total of 60. So now he's only one shy of Maris's mark, heading into a two-game series against Sammy Sosa's Chicago Cubs. So September 7th, McGuire hits a Mike Morgan could have been my stepfather uh it's a mike morgan pitch 430 feet to become the first player since 1961 to hit 61 home runs in a season so then uh the next day with members of the maris family in attendance mcguire hits starter steve Traxel's pitch 341 feet his shortest home run of the year and it just gets over the left field wall they are very deep they play him to pull Traxel winds and fires. Big Mac. Swing! 
It might make it. There it is. 62, folks. It just got over the left field wall in the corner. And we have a new home run champion. A new Sultan of SWAT. It's Mark McGuire. He touches them all. Unbelievable. First major leaguer to hit 62 home runs in a season, and he did it in his team's 144th game. So all talk of the asterisks went away. He's rounding the bases. Mark uh, Mark Grace gives him a high five, pats him on the back. Everybody's there. Scott Service meets him at home plate, the Cubs catcher, and gives him a hug before he even crosses home plate. <laughs> wow. So the two battled the rest of the month. So McGuire would hit one, Sosa would hit one and, and come back, and then McGuire would hit another one. It was it was a it was a neck and neck race. Uh, it should be noted that these two teams, uh, while you know being the focus of the entire country, were on different paths. The Cubs were fighting for a playoff spot. Their games actually meant something. And you know Sosa's driving in these runs with these home runs were actually helping his team. The Cardinals had long since been out of a contention. So McGuire's up there just swinging as hard as he can every time he steps to the plate. So were you rooting for either of these guys? I mean, you know, I think it's fair to say Griffey's out of the picture at this point. Were you rooting for one in particular? Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty good connection with McGuire. He was a cool guy. I had season tickets when he played in Tacoma. He signed a lot of autographs for me, and uh, I, I actually was very fond of McGuire, so I was pulling for him. It's weird because you would think I would be too. I mean, it's not like it's not like he did a Jason Giambi, and you know when he was a free agent left right, the A's. He was traded for money. He didn't. Yeah, do he that. was he was traded for the A's, yeah. but for some reason, I I I never connected with Mark McGuire as an athletic. Just the same, I didn't Conseco. I love that they're on my team. I love that they were great, but I never, you know, I couldn't root for them as hard as I did, like, you know, obviously Ricky or Carney Lansford or Steinbach yeah. or Stu or, you know, Dave Henderson and any of these guys I really liked. Those, you know, McGuire and Conseco, they were on the team and they were huge parts of the team, but I just, I didn't have that connection with them. So I was, I was all team Sosa. I loved him because he was always having a good time out there. You know, McGuire was very stoic. He would smile and stuff, but Sosa's jumping around. He's, you know, pounding his chest. He's, you know, sending kisses to the sky for his mother. And that V at the end was for Harry Carey, who had passed away before this season. So he's really out there having a good time. So for some reason, I was, I was all about Sammy Sosa. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no, I, I don't think you could go wrong on either with either of these guys at that point. I, I have wildly different conceptions of both these players at this point, yes. knowing some of the things we know now. Exactly. <laughs> so September 25th, three games left in the season. The Cubs are at Houston and the Cardinals are at home against the Montreal Expos. Sosa heading into the game both both players are tied at 65 home runs sosa hits one to go ahead 66 to 65 that lasted for all of 45 minutes mcguire ties sosa at 66 and then pulled ahead for good the next day when he hit two home runs and for good measure added two more in his final two at bats in the final game of the season a day later finishing with a total of 70 home runs it is a distinct 
possibility that this is his last at bat of 1998. Take a good long look. This is going to have to last you until next March in Florida. First and third, two out. So after the season is over, McGuire's got his all-time record now at 70. He hit 15 in September, which, I mean, September, you know, the season is so long, especially uh, Chicago and St. Louis. It's hot in those stadiums, especially St. Louis, to play, you know, through the dog days. To still be able to hit this many home runs in the, you know, last month is impressive. Uh, Sosa hit 11 to finish with 66. Griffey had nine. He ended up with 56. Castilla had eight. He ended up with 46. And, you know, of course, Ruth had 60 and, and Maris had 61. So Sosa finished with a 308 batting average, 66 home runs, and 158 RBIs. Uh, the Cubs, of course, made the playoffs. Uh, McGuire finished hitting 299 with 70 home runs and 147 RBIs. Sosa was voted the National League MVP, and I think that's rightfully so because yeah. he, re- I mean, the Cubs would not have made the playoffs if it was not for Sammy Sosa in that incredible year. Let's let's do a little uh, a little roundup of some of the things that happened after this incredible home run contest. 2001, Barry Bonds, of course, just green with jealousy over all the attention Sosa and Maguire got the past couple of years, ups his intake of PEDs to produce a massive head, both ego-wise and his actual physical head was like three friggin' times bigger than it was when he was in Pittsburgh. <laughs> he hits 73 home runs to break uh, Maguire's record. His record, of course, still stands. There's no asterisks by it. Um, I, I think you know, I don't. How do you think of this record? Both both McGuire and Bonds. I I know what the number is. I know that's the record, but I kind of have a hard time. I kind of roll my eyes when I say that that's the record. Yeah, I just my opinion on it is that it was done with performance enhancing drugs, and when your performance is enhanced by something other than you know getting better as a player, practicing, so on. I don't have a problem with guys building up muscles and so on, but using a foreign substance. Um, I, I am not uh, the kind of guy that looks at the 73 home runs and goes, man, he just had a much better season than Roger Maris because I don't believe he would have. Yeah. And, and you know, let's, let's, we're not blind to the fact that yes, there were pitchers that were facing these guys sure. that were using PEDs too. I mean, it's, it's clear, but I, I, you know, I, I laugh when I hear, especially former players, Although I guess they'd be the best to know, but I, I I just can't believe that when they say, oh, you know, more people were using it than weren't. I just I I don't I do not believe that. Well, if you look at um, the the players' union had opposed steroid testing on privacy grounds, you know, up until this time, and the agreement that they had reached with the owners was that they will test players, keep it secret. And then come up with a general number, a percentage of players that were using steroids or human growth hormone. And it was not more than 50%. Yeah. I, you know, 
it's uh, this is a whole other topic is is for us to talk about PEDs. Yeah. Um, and it, it's unfortunate because it spoiled a a great kind of era, and it's its own era now, the PED era yeah. in baseball. It, it's a, it is unfortunate but, um, because that was so much fun. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was that year was so fun. And you know, a couple of things I wanted to bring up is how much fun it was. I mean, just watching TV even during that time, sure. uh, Pepsi had uh, had a whole ad campaign rolled out around you know who's going to they wanted you to guess who's going to lead the league in home runs and how many they're going to hit and if you get that you have a chance to win a trip to the world series yeah and it was huge um, non baseball fans were into it you know uh, my my sister who's not necessarily a big baseball fan was following closely you know um so that to me she's kind of the ultimate casual fan to me so she's kind of my measuring stick and she was she was very interested in it and let's not forget that in 1998 this was also the year that because of these home runs nike rolled out a absolute classic commercial with tom glavin and greg maddox and chicks dig the long oh yes hi tom chicks dig the long ball hey have you guys seen mark Yes, I remember that. In fact, I still have the shirt the Mariners gave us that year. And I'll take a picture of it so we can post it on our social. It says, Chicks Dig Scoreboard, guys. <laughs> which is the which least. we all know is a lie. <laughs> which is the least true statement ever put onto a t-shirt. But uh, it's a great shirt. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember, I mean, obviously I was way into this, but I remember probably after the All-Star break, every time either Sosa or McGuire would hit a home run, I would buy a paper the next day. And I've still got all of those papers in a box uh, with all my other baseball stuff I haven't unpacked. But I have a record of, of every one of those home runs after the All-Star break. Uh, so let's let's look at some other things. So in 2005, Sosa and McGuire, as well as a handful of other active and former players, appeared before the U.S. House Committee on Government Reform. Sosa, who, as we all know, knows how to speak English, all of a sudden forgot he knew how to speak English <laughs> as members of Congress asked him questions. So he instead submitted a sworn statement in which he denied using PEDs. Right. Um, McGuire, when asked questions, would only respond with, I'm not here to discuss the past, which, I mean, let's be honest, that is a, as much of an admittance of, <laughs> of having done it as you can without actually saying, yeah, I did it. Right. Uh, in 2006, Bud Selig, a commissioner at that point, um, appointed George Mitchell, a former U.S. senator and prosecutor, to investigate the use of performance-enhancing drugs in Major League Baseball. Uh, this is what you were talking about earlier. A year and a half later, his report named 89 major leaguers alleged to use, to having used steroids or drugs. McGuire and Sosa, however, were not listed. Yeah. So that was interesting. And then 2009, the New York Times reported that Sosa was among many players who tested positive for steroids in 2003. The next year, McGuire finally admitted he did take steroids off and on for nearly 10 years, including 1998, but insists that the drugs did not help him hit home runs. <laughs> right. And what are you taking them for then? They were what, for hair growth. I truly, though, believe he believes that they did not, that it, it, it was co completely him, not the steroids that 
helped him hit those home runs. Finally, Todd McFarland. Do you remember Todd McFarland? Oh yeah. He's the, uh, the he he created Spawn, uh, the comic series, and he makes some just incredible uh, action figures of both sports as well as as comic stuff. So he is a huge baseball fan. He, over the course of this chase, bought 10 home run balls, you know, famous home run balls as they were hit. Spent over $3.4 million on those 10 balls. Uh, They became the centerpiece of an exhibit that traveled the country for a couple years, drawing millions of fans. Those balls and exhibits now probably in a storage locker somewhere gathering dust, but still, you know, a nice piece of history, Uh, especially if you're a baseball fan. Those are kind of cool to cool to have but there you have it there is the 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 lowdown on the 1989 uh race to the record for not you know not only just the home run crown for the year but as major league baseball had correctly wink wink predicted before the season uh, somebody was going to break roger maris's season record of 61 it was an interesting and fun year definitely was so speaking of fun, we're going to do something a little bit different this episode. Uh, normally, this is the part of the show where we do second best, and we will continue to do second best, maybe just not every show, because we've got a new segment of which uh, we are feverishly working on a new theme song for. It takes a lot of, you you know, to produce a hit single, you can't just do it overnight. You've really got to got to work on it. So we're still working on the theme song for this one. But um, this uh, segment is called I Like Wax Packs and I Cannot Lie. Now, what this what this entails is um, this is going to be kind of a little game that Mark and I are going to play. I have purchased through the magic of the Internet a bunch of unopened wax packs from the late 80s and early 90s. We are each going to randomly choose a pack and open them. Uh, we'll get to reminisce about some of the players that are in this pack, but then we're also going to uh, total up the value of these cards, which is not going to be great. I can tell you the value is not going to be great, but whoever has the highest value is going to get the W for that day. So we are going to be using, I have just purchased the latest version of Beckett's Monthly. They have a digital version, which I would be love to tell somebody at Beckett is just awful uh, <laughs> you cannot you cannot read it on the computer it skips randomly skips pages so i had to download an app to read it on a tablet but i have it here open in front of me all right mark so i am going to grab a couple of packs here i have randomly grabbed a 1988 don russ and a 1988 flare Oh, this is beautiful. Yeah. This so is, those I, are two of my favorite years for, for baseball cards. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I am going to put one in my left hand, one in my right hand, because the monitors here in the studio are hiding me from you. You cannot see which is which. Which hand do you want, the left hand or the right hand? I'm going to go with the right. All right. So you've chosen the Don Russ from 1988. Yes, okay. All I right, must so. have opened 2,000 of those packs over the course of my life. I uh, opened a good deal of these as well. I, I mean, yeah, I think I've got sets from probably 86 through 94. I probably have a complete set of, of everybody that, that put cards out. Now, there are n- no gum in these, which I'm thankful for. Uh, we've got yes. a puzzle piece for it. looks like, I'm guessing Stan Musial, because I see an old-time St. Louis hat. 
All right, so we're going to start right. off yeah. with so the 88 Donruss common cards, and we are going to go with the lowest value, even though you know these are right out of the pack. We're we're going to say these are not mint. Um, so we're going to go with the lowest common value, and commons from this series are worth one cent, according to uh, according to Beckett. Yeah, they made so, a few of them. Yeah, they, they they an article I read said this is like trying to sell you know snow to Eskimos, uh, trying to get anybody to buy any of these cards. All right, so we're going to start off with uh, your first pull is Steve Sachs. Hey, hey Steve Alto Sachs, not Second a bad player. Dodgers. Yeah, no, not a bad. No, he was solid. He uh, he he must have played second base nine or ten years for those guys. And but then he got the yips, didn't he? At some point, he couldn't throw the ball to first. Did he really? I don't recall yeah. that. You may yeah. be right. Pretty sure he did. All right, so that's a common according to uh, to Beckett. So there's one sure. cent. Next, we got Ron Guidry. Nice, oh, co- wow. Nice player, but again, a common player according to uh, according to Beckett. Ron Guidry, a pitcher uh, actually for the Yankees too, who had a couple of really impressive years. Yeah, let's see. Looking on the back, they don't give me his whole career. Uh, he completed 21 games in 1983 to lead the league. That's pretty impressive. Wow, that's my new favorite stat is is the complete game. <laughs> and in 1985, he led the league with 22 wins. Yes. Yeah. Definitely a great player. Yeah. Uh, next, Ellis Burks. Wow, these are some good good players. They're all Boston considered Red common. Sox. Yeah. Yeah, these are all considered common uh, players. Um, this is his rookie card, but still considered a common player. Yeah. Uh, next, Lou Whitaker. There we go, sweet Lou. Oh, my choice, it. my choice to go into the Hall of Fame from an episode or two ago. Another great second baseman. Yep, uh, another common. <laughs> and when we say common uh, in baseball terms, that means it's it's just it's the same price as everybody else. Right. Uh, it, of this eighty-eight Donruss set, there might be twenty-five players listed here. Uh, that are worth more than the one to five cents. So, yes. and this might be one of them. Uh, Cal Ripken. There you go. Right on. I think we all know who Cal Ripken Jr. is. And look at this. He is listed as being worth 30 cents. Woo! Big that is, for me. That is like a grand slam right there. That is that impressive. Is <laughs> that yes. could, you could win just with him alone, maybe. <laughs> all right. So next we have got a BJ Surhoff rookie card. Oh man, BJ Surhoff, a catcher, I think, when he came up. But ended yeah, up definitely. Uh, he was he he also played third base at some point and some outfield too. He which is interesting all... because uh, he hit left-handed, I believe. Uh, bats left, throws right. Not a lot of left-handed hitting catchers or third basemen. No, you know what? There's, you're seeing more left-handed hitting, but they still catch right-handed. Yeah, yeah. Those. You know what that is? That is dads saying, "Wow, lefties make more yep. money." <laughs> 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 all right here we go this is my catcher in my diamond dynasty team on uh on mlb the show on playstation benito santiago oh wow this is a, a diamond kings card but oh the still... diamond kings yes. yeah so it's, it's, a, a, it's a yes it's a painting of it's a bust of his head and then of him getting ready to hit benito oh. we discussed in our numbers segment because he wore the number 09 
Yep, yep, definitely an odd number. Now you're going to take a hit here because you have drawn a checklist card. Oh, boo. Which, which if you don't collect baseball cards, it's a card that just has a whole bunch of names on the front and back with a little box that you're meant to check off as you get each of those cards. So clearly that is worth zero cents. I'm, I'm not even going to give you a cent on that one. I should lose oh, a penny for that. Here's another great catcher, Tony Pena. Nice. Yeah, caught for a long time. Now, remember Tony Pena, he caught for a lot of teams, but he had a great stance when he was catching. He would Mm -hmm. sit on the ground and kick one leg out, but he could still gun you out. He had a hose. He could still gun you out from sitting on his ass like that. Yeah, no, he had one one knee bent, I think, and the other one sticking out. Yeah. All right, next we've got a very young Jamie Moyer, his second year in the majors. Wow. Yeah. He One looks of my like all-time he favorites. Doesn't even look like he's shaving yet in this picture. You've got some great play. This is if you put this team on the field, I think you yeah. would be you'd be having a good season. Next we got Zane Smith. Zane oh, Smith. I remember the great lefty out of Atlanta. Yeah, so Zane Smith again, uh that is a common. You've got another catcher here, very deep behind the plate, Junior Ortiz. Oh, man. Yeah, good catcher. His father, Senior Ortiz, was also a good catcher. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, this is a good-looking card. Ron Robinson. Not oh, wow. Don, not the caveman Don Robinson, but Ron Robinson, which is unfortunate because Ro- Ron Robinson is, a, is a, a, a big red-headed guy with a very fair skin, and this is when he played on the Reds, and so it's just not a great picture of him, <laughs> but we will give you a, a comment on that. You're saying uh, he looks a little washed out, is that he right? Looks a, yeah, it's a little hard to make him out. Uh, Bruce Ruffin, there's a good uh, kind of journeyman uh, reliever. And as Berman called him, two minutes for roughing. Two minutes for roughing. There you go. And your second Hall of Famer in this deck, Tony wow. Gwynn. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. See, the great Tony Gwynn. You can't beat that. So, well, actually, Cal Ripken did because Ripken was worth 30 cents. Gwynn is only worth 10. What? Yeah, the I know. If, if, you ha- if you had to take... If you had to take one of those two, I think I'm taking Gwen every day of the week. I love oh, yeah, Cal Ripken. Absolutely. Me too. I, I mean, Gwen is is probably, since Ted Williams, the best hitter the game's known. Oh, yeah. So that's a... All right. So I'm going to total yours up here. You got 40 cents between uh, Gwen and Ripken, and then you totaled 12 cents elsewhere. So that is 52 cents you're coming in. Nice. With. Which is, yeah, I think that's a, the, the Gwen and the Ripken there are, are some big pulls. All right, so now I am going with the 88 Flair. So uh, the 88 Flair commons for the 88 Flair, this is very complicated, are worth two cents. So right off the bat, oh. I've got a little bit of it. <laughs> You've got me smoked already. Oh, but the, I just opened the pack, and the very last card is a checklist. So. <laughs> oh, well, okay. I got even with you there. All right. So my first card, oh, boy, these are some ugly cards. Uh, you, so your yeah, cards the... were the ones with the kind of the, the tubes in the background, the red and right. blue tubes. And these those are, are what? The red, white. white, and blue stripes? Yeah, yeah, not my Yeah, favorite. I remember those. All right, so I opened, you got a, a puzzle piece. I got a sticker. I got a Dodgers Ooh. sticker. 
and on the that's back there's a there's a nice uh, picture of Dodger Stadium. So, yeah, that's not worth anything, but I think that's a better piece. You know, Jeff here, uh, if I may jump in, you actually have a legit shot at a Craig Biggio rookie in that pack. <laughs> well, I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, so I'm going to start off with a tragic figure, Tim Cruz, pitcher oh, for the Dodgers. Yes. Uh, in case you didn't know, Tim Cruz was in a boating accident and unfortunately lost his life very early um, in his career. So that's good picture that, too. It's kind of sad, but he is considered a uh, a common. So there's two cents. Got my first athletic, which is good. Steve Ontiveros. Oh, I'm, wow. not even, I'm not even going to look. He is a common. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. My first Hall of Famer, Tim Raines. Nice. Let's see. He is number 193. He is considered a common. Hall of Fame common. He is in, a, in an Expos uniform, though, so that's that's good news there. Now, here is a star of one of our, our musical numbers from last week, Brett Saberhagen. Oh, nice. Rapping about Ford trucks. Yes. But uh, not good enough to be out of the common bin. Two cents for you. Good picture, uh, still common. <laughs> next, we got infielder Kurt Stillwell, Cincinnati Reds. I don't even have to look at these. These are just comments. Uh, here we go. Oh, my goodness. This card is classic. Steve Bouchel. Texas Steve Rangers. Steve Bouchel. Yes. Oh, man. I remember I went to... Uh, he was my, he was uh, managing the Rangers AAA Farm Club a couple of years ago. I think he is coaching in the bigs now, though. Um, but there is something odd about this card. He has got a neck that looks like... His head looks disembodied. From from his his the rest of him, that's a not a good look, but common card. Uh, here we go. Here's a a uh, journeyman Jesse Orozco. He was on the '86 Mets team that it won was. the World Series. Might have been in Get Metsmerized. I don't remember. Uh, Mike Witt. There we go. Now yeah. Mike Witt's kid was just drafted. Uh, Mike Witt's kid was just drafted in the first round last week during the draft. He is nice. a huge prospect, a pitcher. One of my all-time favorite players, and he is immediately going in the common pile, but one of my all-time favorite players, Rick Shu, S-C-H-U, third baseman. I remember because there's a, I forget what card it is, but he's in his Phillies uniform, the powder blues, and his pants are just torn up and Dirty, like he had really been playing hard, and I remember I loved Rick Shue after that. Um, here is a member of one of our second best episodes, Jesse Barfield. Oh my, my arm, my arm from right field. Common. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh nice. boy, I've got. I am. You are killing me. I've just looked ahead through the rest of my pack here. Uh, next, we've got Rick Manning. That is the epitome of a common. I uh, don't know who that is. He was a catcher and then played the outfield. He's, okay. He's, yeah, not much there. Dan Pasqua from the uh, Yankees. Uh, had, had a little bit of pop, but not much. Uh, Gene Larkin. He was on the 88 Twins team that won the World Series. Common. I'm going to throw out my checklist card, and probably the best player from this whole pack is Bobby Bonilla. Oh, sure. But um, he is a common. He is, 
Number 323, Barry Bonds is number 322, which is worth a dollar, but oh. just a common there. So I did not have a good pack here. Let's see, I had 28 cents as my total. <laughs> wow, I beat you with just my Ripken, man. Yep, you did. You 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 clearly beat me. So you are now ahead in this new segment, one to nothing. But Woo. I think that I thought that I don't know how much fun it was for the viewers, but for me, getting to open wax packs is uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's actually a lot of fun for me to think about those players from an era where I lived and breathed baseball. Yeah. And oh yeah. Stats. All right, so there you have it. Our first uh, I like wax packs and I cannot lie segment. Mark, you have taken the lead uh, one to nothing. That was fun. If uh, Let us know what you think about that. Did you like it? Uh, should we shelve it forever and just open wax packs all by ourselves here and laugh <laughs> at the players we get? Uh, let us know. Also, you know, you can follow us on social media. We do a lot of stuff, especially on Twitter. We're also on Instagram. You can find us both uh, in both platforms at two strike noise that is two strike noise i plastered twitter this last week with all of those musical numbers and i will definitely uh, put a link to chocolate strawberry up there for you as well but please all right follow us uh if you could rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening to us on and please tell friends about us let them uh let them know uh, that there are two idiots talking about baseball here and you might find them enjoyable. All right. Well, Mark, this is fun. You want to do it again next week? Yeah. What the heck? I don't think I got any plans. All right. Well then, uh, we hope you will too. Uh, I want to thank you again for joining us on two strike noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>